It was a dark day. The day she chose to leave the situation and simply run away. She didn't know how to care for this child. She knew that things were not going to be well for her. And she felt utterly alone. There are times in our lives when we face desperate situations. There are times in our lives when we simply feel like nobody understands what is happening to me. There are times in our lives when we face trials or struggles and the burden of that struggle is just too great to bear and we wonder, does anybody care? An atheist might look at these circumstances and these situations and might even ask the question, why would you believe in God if this is going on in your life? Hagar was a woman in a desperate situation. Hagar was a woman that was abused and alone and without any hope. But Hagar's story is a powerful story because Hagar cries out and she says, There is a God who sees me. Because God acted in her life. And God will act in your life. And there are times when we think we can't take another step, or the day is too dark, or the mountain's too tall, and we wonder, does anyone see? God sees. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to the book of Genesis. We want to begin in Genesis chapter 16. It introduces us to Hagar, but we might find Hagar in a group mentioned slightly earlier in the book of Genesis. As we look at the story of Hagar, we want to know first of all, notice first of all her circumstance, how she's abused, how she's injured. We want to notice of her loneliness, and we want to see how God sees. Notice first of all the circumstances in Hagar's life. Genesis chapter 16 verse 1 is the story of someone taking things into his or her own hands and not relying on God. And it's here that Hagar is abused. Notice the text. Genesis chapter 16 verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go unto my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. We're introduced to Hagar in these verses as simply being a handmaid, a slave belonging to Sarai. And it's perhaps earlier in the book of Genesis that we see 
maybe a glimpse of who Hagar is. Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran, and they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, you will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then notice verse 5. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Did you notice they took all their possessions, including the people that they had acquired? It's possible that Hagar was among those people that they had acquired in Haran. A little bit later in that same chapter, Abraham goes down, or Abram goes down to Egypt, and as he goes down to Egypt, Abram tells Sarah, "You're a good-looking woman, and I know Abram or Pharaoh is going to want to take you as a wife. So why don't you just tell him that you're my sister? Because if he thinks you're my wife, he may kill me, so he can have you as a wife." Now they were half-brother and sister, so that was kind of a half-truth, but a half-lie. Of course, you know what happens. Before anything transpires, God speaks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh figures out what's going on. And he flees or forces Abraham out. But notice before he does that, verse 16. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and male or excuse me and female donkeys and camels. Perhaps it could be that Hagar was among these Egyptian slaves that Pharaoh gives to Abram. There's no way for us to know, but here's what we do know. The text of Genesis chapter 16 says that Hagar was a slave. Whether she was an Egyptian slave, and it describes her as being Egyptian, whether she was an Egyptian slave that somehow had made her way up to Haran, perhaps through slave trade, and was purchased by Abraham at the time, or whether she was living in, down in Egypt, uh, and when Abram and Sarah are there, that perhaps she is one of those slaves that Pharaoh gives to Abram because he thinks that Sarah is so good looking. But she's a slave. She doesn't have a choice in the matter. She finds herself not living in Egypt, not with her family, not with her siblings, not with her parents, but she finds herself a slave in the home 
of this man named Abram. This man who says, knows, that God told me I'm going to have more children than can be counted. God's going to make me a great nation. He's going to make my name great. He's going to bless me. Anyone who curses me, God's going to curse him. Undoubtedly, she had heard those things. I can't prove it. But it seems likely to me that she probably was aware of the things that Abram believed. And all of a sudden, Sarai says, you know what? It's been ten years. Ten years ago, God told you to leave here and come down here and He's going to give you all these things and it hasn't happened. Now we need to think a minute as we look at the story of Hagar, Abraham and Sarai. And realize how sometimes we take matters into our own hands because we listen. We listen to the voice of others. Now the text doesn't tell us this because it's focused on Hagar. But we know from archaeology, from the Code of Hammurabi, from the Code of Ur of Nemu. How many of you have traveled to Ur of Nemu? Probably none of us. But archaeologists have discovered from some of the cities of antiquity in the ancient Near East in that area that it was customary for a wealthy man, and Abraham would have been a wealthy man, that if your wife could not bear you children, you had two options. One option was that you would send her away and you would just get another wife. Another option was that you would take a handmaiden and you would use her as a concubine to have children on behalf of your wife. It was expected that that's what you would do because you needed an heir to pass on your belongings to, to pass on your family name. This was a standard and a practice that was expected in the ancient Near East. And here Abraham is, he's 75 years old. He hasn't even had a child yet. And Sarah, his wife, is 10 years younger than he is. So she's 65. She hasn't had a child. Can you imagine the things that Abraham's friends and business partners and, and people might say to him? Uh, Abraham, don't you think it's about time you do something about this circumstance? Abraham, don't you think that it's no big deal to go out and do this? I mean, this is how people have children, Abraham. I can just imagine those voices. Sarah's standard as a wife, or Sarah's standing as a wife was measured on her ability to have children. She couldn't do it. She couldn't fulfill that. Her best choice in the matter was to say, here's my handmaid, use her as a concubine, and raise a child in my name. And so that's the suggestion that she gives to Abraham. Did anyone discuss any of this with Hagar? I highly doubt it. And she's a slave after all. It doesn't say that she volunteered. It doesn't say that she had any input in the matter. It says that Sarai brought her handmaiden to Abraham. And Abraham said, well, okay. So let's think about how well this circumstance, this situation is going to work out for old Abraham. Notice it says... Verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarah said to Abram, 
may the wrong done me be upon you. I have gave, I gave my handmaid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Is it good to have two cooks in the kitchen at the same time? Could that be a possible source of conflict? Do you think Abraham thought that one through? So here we have conflict between these two women. Now the custom of the day was that that concubine would then be elevated in status according to rank of social servants in the family. And so here she is. She's going to have a child and that her child is going to inherit all of Abraham's possessions and belongings and wealth. And apparently she's throwing it back at Sarah a little bit. And she knows that her status has changed in the family. And you can't mess with me anymore because now I have, I'm going to have the child of, of the husband. Of the, he's going to be the heir of the family. He's going to be the heir of all these things. Sarah comes to Abraham. She says, look what you've done. He says, I was just doing what you wanted me to do, baby. Baby's not biblical. But you can almost hear that conversation. Probably didn't go quite like that. But he says, this was your, your idea. I just did what you wanted me to do. He said, she's in your power. You do as you want to do to her. And again, when archaeologists look back at some of those codes of antiquity that they have discovered, the law was very specific. A handmaiden who was disrespectful to her mistress, to the woman that owned her, that the woman who owned her had the right to scour her tongue with a pound of salt. Can you imagine what that's like? That text doesn't say that that's what Sarai did with Hagar. The text simply says that she mistreated her. But if that was the custom of the day, that could mean a lot of things. Whatever it was, Hagar looked at the situation and she said, the only avenue for me is to run away. And so that's what she does. Says she fled from her presence. She's a slave. She's forced into this circumstance probably without any regard for her desire in the matter. And now she's being... Did she bring some of it on her? Yeah. On herself, yes. But she's being mistreated. And she runs away. Sometimes the circumstances in our life become so unbearable that the only avenue that we can see is to run away. To get out of the situation. And all that weight of that burden is falling upon our shoulders and we don't know what to do. So we try to get away. And oftentimes getting away means taking it on ourselves. And letting it weigh us down. Notice the text. As Hagar now moves into a desert of loneliness. Verse 7. 
Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants <coughs> so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, his, and everyone's hand will be against him, and his brothers will live east to all of his brothers." Hagar, I want you to do the I want you to go back to the situation that you're in. And I want you to grin and bear it for just a little while. Because there's going to come a day when the child that you are carrying is going to freedom. There's going to come a day in which the child that you have will be the source of more descendants than you can count. And I'm going to bless that child. Now, he's not going to be the child through whom God fulfills His promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. But he's going to be another descendant of Abram. Here we're going to see those descendants throughout the rest of the Old Testament. His name, Ishmael, means he who hears, or he hears. But it says he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. To us, that sounds like an insult. When was the last time you called somebody a wild donkey of a man and they said, oh, that's so awesome. I appreciate that. You're so swell. No, we think, what are you talking about? You just called me a wild donkey? But in that agrarian society, a wild donkey was an animal that lived out on the cliffs, that lived out in the wilderness, and he was someone that no one could tame. He had his freedom. For us, it would be more like someone saying, be a Mustang in Wyoming. Not a Ford Mustang, but a wild horse. Beautiful creatures. And in this context, that's what God is describing. And He says He's going to live away from His brothers, but He's going to have a, a dominion. He's going to have all these blessings. And these are words that are coming to a woman that has been abused, that has been trafficked, that has been forced into childbirth. And God says, better days are coming. Notice the text. Verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, I have even remained alive here after seeing Him. Therefore the well was called Ber Laharoi. Behold, it is between, between Kadesh and Barid. Berlaharoi means the God who sees. 
the God who sees me. Verse 15, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. He hears. The point of this story is that here is a woman in a desert of loneliness after years of abuse, after mistreatment, after all the horrible things that have happened to her, and she's out in a desert of loneliness thinking no one is here. No one can help me. No one can save me. I'm at my wit's end. I'm in a desperate situation. There is no hope for me. And all of a sudden, God has an angel sitting next to her, talking to her, saying, No! That's not your fate. That's not the end of the story. You go back. And I know it's going to be hard for a little while longer. But you go back over here. And you submit. And you bear it. And you grin it. You grin with it. You let it roll off your back. You do whatever. But you know that I will take care of you. Because I have heard and I have seen and I am solving. Sometimes in our lives we find ourselves in those desperate situations, those desperate places, those dark hours, those moments of trial, those moments of struggle. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it is a health crisis. But every single one of us have either experienced something, some crisis, some struggle, some challenge. And every single one of us, before we pass, will continue to face those challenges. And it's during those challenges, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of health, the loss of any number of things, and we think to ourselves, does anyone see? Does anyone care? You think of the story of Hagar. God says, I know it's going to be tough for a little while. But I want you to continue to follow me. I want you to continue to rely on me. Because I see. I hear. And I solve. If you're here this morning and you need to call on the name of the Lord, you need the prayers of the church, or you have other needs, won't you come as together we stand and sing?